Today we start a, seri- a series, a sermon series, that I've simply titled The Holy Spirit. The ho- Who said that? Way to go. Man, I like that attitude. It may get Pentecostal over here. Anyway, all right. <laughs> By the way, it's so good to see Brenda Jones in the house today, as long, along with Caleb. Awesome. Brenda's one of our favorites. She came through MSP several years ago and just became family. It's good to see you. Let's get back to the Holy Spirit. Is that okay, Brenda? Can we get to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> we start a sermon series today that we're, I'm simply calling it the Holy Spirit. For the next five, five or six weeks at least, every Sunday I'll be preaching a message about the third person in the Trinity. Uh, the Holy Spirit. On Wednesday nights, we're going to supplement that. Uh, Pastor John is going to be leading a, a Wednesday night group talking about the spiritual gifts. And I, I, I certainly hope that you guys will dive in to this series of messages and into the Bible studies that we have. I've also printed out some Bible studies on that back table if you want to, to study uh, the Bible on your own concerning the, uh, the Holy Spirit, I've got a book back there I want you to take home with you today. I mean, I, I, really, I can't think of a more important topic for us as a fellowship than the topic we began talking about today. I, I felt impressed by the Lord to take our fellowship in this direction for three reasons, basically, for at least these, these three reasons. The first reason is personal. The first reason that I want us to go in this direction is personal. I've been an Assemblies of God pastor for 31 years, believe it or not. I know I look young, and I know my wife's only 29, but regardless, <laughs> for 31 years I've been in the Assemblies of God working on a church staff somewhere as a pastor, youth pastor, worship pastor, or something, and I have never preached a series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I really, personally, have a deep desire to grow in this area of my understanding about God and I desperately need and I desperately want a fresh outpouring of His Holy Spirit upon my life. So, personal reason. Second reason is corporate. The second reason is corporate. I get asked more questions about the Holy Spirit than anything else related to the Bible or to Christianity. I have had countless conversations on who the Holy Spirit is, the nature of the Trinity, what the Holy Spirit does, uh, and, and so I hope to answer many of these questions uh, uh, as we go through these messages, and, and, I, and I, I want to stir up in you all a desire to walk more closely with the Spirit. He is our advocate. He is our, 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 our best friend in this life. And I pray that as we go through these messages and as you dive into these Bible studies, I, I pray that you're drawn into a more, uh, into a deeper, and a more passionate and more satisfying life in the Spirit as we learn about Him together. The third reason I want to take us through this series is, is practical. It's just a practical reason. I was on Facebook recently and I read a, a meme that said this. It said, do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? The answer was, honey, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> I mean, even for Facebook, that's some pretty good theology. We need, from a practical vantage point, we need the Holy Spirit as never before. We need His presence. We need His power. We need His comfort. We need His strength. We need His wisdom. We need His help. Listen, guys, 
We simply cannot do this life without the Holy Spirit. Not even go to Walmart. So here we go. Y'all ready? Get your seatbelts on. But then when I, when I say get out of your seatbelts, get out of your seatbelts. And let's enjoy the presence of the Lord and what He has in store for us, all right? Today we're going to begin looking at a part of a conversation that takes place in John chapter 3 between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a leader among the Jewish people. He's a Pharisee. He's a highly religious man. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to speak to him. Now some say Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because Nicodemus is embarrassed and he doesn't want anyone else to know about this conversation he has with Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, it's better to come to Jesus with your questions at night than never to come to Jesus at all. If you have questions that you need answered, go to Jesus. He's got the answers. So read this passage of Scripture with me and let's just dive into this series. This is only an introduction to the series, okay? Uh, It's a sermon in and of itself, but it's really an introduction to what we hope to uh, talk about in the weeks to come. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Of course, Jesus is referring there to natural childbirth. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Would you say that phrase with me? Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Say it again. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Jesus there is referring to spiritual birth that requires the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Verse 8. This is where we're going to focus today. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Let's read that verse together again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your word and I pray in the name of Jesus you would help us to focus on what you have to say to us today. Father, let all the distractions melt away right now. Let them fade away in the light of who you are. Show us, reveal yourself to us, Lord, so that we can understand your your character and your nature even more than before. Help us to see, Lord Jesus, this word and all of its power. Let us experience the Holy Spirit in his presence. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart, oh God, that's so eager to receive. We crave you. We crave you. Lord, we need you so desperately. We can't take another step without you. We have no hope without you. 
We need you more than we need air to breathe. We need you more than we need water to drink. We need you, Jesus. Show us the Spirit of God. Reveal to us who He is so that we can walk more closely with Him, so that we can become everything you've created us to be. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and its power and your presence here that opens up our hearts to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to put our focus on verse 8 here, particularly on two words that appear in this verse, wind and spirit. Wind and spirit. And although they are translated in English as two separate words, in the Greek they are the very same word, pneuma. Pneuma. We get our words pneumatic drill or pneumonia from this Greek word, pneuma. So depending on the context in the New Testament, Pneuma is translated into English basically in three different ways, either as breath, wind, or spirit. But here in this verse, here, this Greek word has two meanings, wind and spirit. Now there are a lot of different symbols the Bible uses to represent the the Spirit of God. Dove, fire, water. But I think wind here is the one I, I want us to focus on this morning. Wind serves as an especially good symbol of the Holy Spirit. Jesus points out to Nicodemus that the wind by its very nature is first of all unpredictable. The Spirit of God is unpredictable. The wind may blow from the east today, but tomorrow it may blow from the south or the north or the east or the west. But no man tells the wind where it will blow. No man determines where the wind will blow from, where the wind will blow to. It's unpredictable. The wind is also invisible. Wind is invisible. We can't see the wind. Now, we can feel the effects of the wind. We hear it blowing through the trees, and we can see it stirring up the dust. We can feel the refreshing touch of a breeze when it lights on our face in a really hot summer day, and we can enjoy the power that wind generates, but we don't see the wind, we only see the effects of the wind because it's invisible. Jesus also wanted Nicodemus to understand that the wind is uncontrollable. It's uncontrollable. It blows where it pleases. Wind blows when it pleases. Wind blows to the strength to the degree of strength that it pleases. Sometimes, sometimes the wind blows like a gentle breeze to to, uh, to cool you off on a hot summer day, or the wind can blow like a hurricane and completely ravage a landscape. How many of you went to Tuscaloosa after the tornadoes came through? I mean, it changed everything about Tuscaloosa. Well, just like the wind, the Holy Spirit is unpredictable and invisible and uncontrollable. The Holy Spirit moves as He pleases. Sometimes He comes in like a breeze. Sometimes He comes in like a hurricane. The Holy Spirit can't be manipulated. He can't be cajoled into action. The Holy Spirit can't be ginned up. The Holy Spirit can be incredibly surprising. The Holy Spirit often works in completely unexplainable ways. Life with the Holy Spirit is never boring. Life with the Holy Spirit is never dull. It's never tiresome. You never quite know where He's going to take you. You're never quite sure what He's going to do in you. You're never quite sure where He's going to work through you. 
Oswald Chambers said that as followers of Jesus, I love this quote, the Spirit is the first power we practically experience, but it's the last power we come to understand. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. He's the first power you experience, but He's the last power you understand. The Holy Spirit brings spiritual life to some of us the very first time we hear the Gospel. But then sometimes He works more slowly in others to bring them to life in Christ. Why? I don't know. The Spirit sets some free from their sin and addictions immediately. But others, He sets free through a process of change or by working the steps. Why? I don't know. I've known some to be baptized in the Holy Spirit while they're asleep in bed. They wake up speaking in tongues. I've known others who have sought the baptism for years. Years. Before experiencing their own personal baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why? I don't know. Why does the Spirit call and equip the least likely to, the, to, to, to do the most amazing things in His kingdom? Why? The Spirit called and anointed Billy Graham, a little farm boy from North Carolina, to travel the world and preach the gospel, and millions are saved. The least likely. The Spirit called and anointed another farm boy from South Alabama, my dad, Vernon Davis, to leave his plowing mules behind to train leaders and plant churches in South India. Why him? Surely there was somebody else better qualified, better educated. Why would the Spirit choose someone like that to do such amazing things in the kingdom of God? The Spirit brings revival to the least likely places and to the least likely people. Why? I mean, the wind of the Spirit is blowing like a hurricane across Africa, but right now, in Europe, not a breeze. Why? Why? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. You see, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. He blows where He pleases. No man can control His movements. He's unpredictable. But we can certainly see the effects of His movements when He moves. We can see the effects of His movements when He moves. You see, and this is what I want to... I really want to... When the Holy Spirit comes, when He comes, you can expect change. You may not know when He's coming... You may not know how He's coming. You may not be able to manipulate Him into coming. But when He comes, everything changes. Everything changes. Are you ready for some change? Are you I'm, I, That's a legitimate question. I'm not just, that's not a rhetorical question. Are you ready for change? Because until you're ready for change, who knows? When the Holy Spirit comes, you can expect change. He comes with power. He comes with power to bring unmistakable change. In Acts 2, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, 
describes for us when the Holy Spirit came and filled the 120 disciples who had gathered in that upper room and the church was born. When the day of Pentecost came, let's read it together up there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together, all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What happened when the Spirit came that day? What happened when the Spirit came that day on those 120 people who had gathered there? I want you to note the sequence of things as they take place. First you have the sound of what? Wind. Then tongues of fire came upon each of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak in other languages. Wind, fire, Holy Spirit, other languages. What happens just moments later? Go on down and read in, in chapter 2, and you find out that Peter, this little timid fisherman that was running away from servant girls just 50 days prior, suddenly stands up and begins to preach with power and anointing. What is the result? Conversions. 3,000 souls are saved. Wind. Fire. Filled with the Spirit. Speak in tongues. Everything changes. Preaching. Conversions. And it didn't stop there. God used Peter and these 120 to turn their world upside down with the preaching of the gospel. God, I wish to goodness we would get hold of what God wants to do in our lives by baptizing, filling us till we overflow with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not so we can have a little jumping around time. It's not so we can feel little things on our goosebumps. That's not what it's about. It's about change. It's about change in our lives as individuals. It's about change in our churches. It's about change in our homes. It's about bringing the power to change to our communities, to our country. It's about change. When the Holy Spirit comes, you can expect change. Why does the wind come first? Why do we have the sound of this mighty rushing wind? Here, I, I, you know, let me just throw this out. I, I think... It's because the Holy Spirit begins His work by blowing through people's hearts, preparing each of them for what is about to happen. Follow me. Wind brings change. Wind brings change. When the wind blows, things move. When the wind blows, energy is produced. When the Holy Spirit comes, He comes in power and things are bound to change. It's the very same thing for us today. We need the Holy Spirit to blow through our hearts like a hurricane. We need to have our fear replaced with faith. We need anger to be replaced with forgiveness. We need doubt to be replaced with hope. We need judgment to be replaced with grace. We need pride to be replaced with humility. We need cowardice to be replaced with courage. We need reluctance to be replaced with willingness. Listen, we need the wind of the Spirit to blow through our hearts and change us from the inside out. We need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through our fellowship. 
We need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through our fellowship like a mighty, rushing, violent wind. Listen, we can plan and we can organize and we can promote to our heart's delight. But all our work comes to nothing unless the Holy Spirit blesses it. All the preaching and all the teaching and all the singing and all the evangelizing, all the disciple making and all the step working is useless unless the Holy Spirit anoints it. Unless the wind of the Holy Spirit blows through our hearts and changes us, all of the work we do will be wasted effort and it will have no lasting eternal effect. We need the Holy Spirit to come because there is always more of God's uh, of God to experience. We need the Holy Spirit to come because we haven't yet come to the end of God. There's always more of God. Here's my problem. Here's my problem so much with, with where we are in Christianity in America. We get just enough of Jesus to get us comfortable. We get just enough of Jesus to get us sober. We get just enough of Jesus to get our family through this crisis, but we stop right there. We want to be comfortable. We want to be comfortable. We want to feel warm and fuzzy. We don't want to be challenged. We don't really want to be changed. We want just enough Jesus to make our lives a little bit better. So we add Jesus to our life. Instead of surrendering our life to Jesus, we add Him to our life. And we hope that that's enough to get us through. You know what I'm talking Come on. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to blow. To remove all that silliness, all that shallowness from our lives. So that we can truly surrender to God, surrender to His plans, and become everything He created us to be. We need the Holy Spirit to come because there is always more of God we need to experience. Ephesians 1.9 says, and Paul, Paul is speaking, he says, I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Of God. Has anybody yet achieved that in this life? Do you feel full of God right now? You think there's a little bit more of God that you need in your life? I certainly hope so. Listen, this is the goal of Christianity. This is the goal of a Christian life surrendered to God, is to know God in His fullness, to be full, to be filled to the full measure of God. The word filled has with it this idea of being dominated by something. The word filled here has this idea of being dominated. Now, some of us have been dominated by a lot of things, but they had nothing to do with God. But you know what it feels like to be dominated by the need for your next drink, your next pill, your next relationship. You know what that feels like. We're talking about being dominated by God. Listen, if you are filled with rage, you're going to be dominated by rage. If you are filled with lust, you're going to be dominated by lust. If you are filled with love, you will be dominated by love. If you are filled with joy, you will be dominated by joy. If you are filled with God, you will be dominated by God. I don't know about you, I am tired of substitutes. No more substitutes. 
I'm tired of trying to of having substitutes run my life. It's time now for God to run my life. As believers in Christ Jesus, we have been designed as containers to be filled with God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Again, this idea of dominated by the Spirit of God. God desires to pour His life into our lives and fill us to the full with Himself. And when He does, it's going to change us. It'll change you. It'll change you. It will transform your personality. It will renew your mind. It will change your perspective. It will convert your soul. It will alter your motivations and your convictions because when the Spirit comes, everything changes. And I'm asking you again, are you ready to change? Is it all out on the table? Lord, this is my life. Here, on the table. Take what needs to be thrown away, throw it away. What you need to add, add. Lord, this is my life. Where do I need to change, Lord? What do I need to surrender, Lord? Where do I need to obey, Lord? That's what happens when the Spirit comes in power. Like the wind, He comes to bring change into our lives. When the Spirit comes, everything changes. Look, Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus in the nighttime for that little conversation expecting to be changed. He didn't come expecting to be changed. But that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit drew Nicodemus to Christ, and he came, and he was forever changed. In John 6.44, Jesus says, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Let me tell you something. The Father draws sinners to the Son by means of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The Father draws sinners to the Son by means of the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit who drew Nicodemus to Jesus. And Nicodemus was changed. This is the testimony of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This is the testimony of the entire Bible. You and I must change. Spirit is our only hope. Flesh can't give life to the Spirit. Your good works, your efforts to turn over a new leaf and go in a different direction will never work unless the Spirit of God first brings life to your spirit. We cannot change ourselves. We can only be changed by God through the power, the working of the Holy Spirit. That is our only hope for change because in our natural state, we're all sinners. In our natural state, we are all in rebellion against God and we cannot change ourselves. I want you to listen to the way the Bible describes people like us apart from God. Let's get really honest here. The Bible says apart from God, we're blind. We're blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Apart from God, we are held captive by Satan. 
2 Timothy 2.26 says that we're to pray that God would change unbelievers' heart, hearts. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. The Bible says that apart from God, we are condemned. John 3.18, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Apart from God, the Bible says that we're dead. Ephesians 2.18, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The Bible says that apart from God, we are helpless. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. The Bible says that apart from God, we are hopeless. Ephesians 2.2, without hope and without God in the world. Do you remember what it felt like to be hopeless like that? You remember crying yourself to sleep at night because you thought you could never, ever have life again. You thought it was over. You thought it was done. You thought you had come to the end of your rope. You didn't even want to wake up the next morning. Have you been there? Remember that? You see, unless the Father draws us to the Son by way of the Holy Spirit, we can't be saved. Our predicament is desperate unless the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. Do you remember the first moment where the blinders fell off of your eyes and you began to realize for the first time, God's for me, not against me. He sent His Son to die for me, to bring me back into relation. you remember that? Remember your, the scales falling from your eyes? You thought you had changed. Oh no, the Holy Spirit changed you. Our predicament is desperate unless the Holy Spirit reveals Christ. To us, we're blind, but we think we can see. Remember that? We're captives, but we think we're free. Remember that? We're dead, but we think we're alive. You see, unless the Holy Spirit shows us the truth of our condition and draws us to Christ, we cannot change. But then the wind begins to blow. And the landscape of our heart begins to change. And boy, sometimes it's really painful when that wind begins to blow. And those relationships that you once counted on aren't there anymore. And the way you see life suddenly is completely different now. Remember how it felt when the Holy Spirit began to blow? But then you're born again by the Spirit of God and then your lives are forever changed by that Spirit when He blows. You once were blind, but now what? You see. You once were held captive by Satan, but now you're free. You once were condemned, but now, praise God, forgiven. You once were dead, but now what? You're alive. Man, remember what it felt like to really breathe for the first time and realize all behind me now. All behind me now. Remember what it felt like, really, do you remember what it felt like to breathe free for the first time? Thank you, Jesus. You once were hopeless, but now the Holy Spirit Himself lives inside you. You once were helpless, but now we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Look, I want us, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to spend the rest of the, of the service just in worship. 
I remember. Let me just share my own little story here. Just because I don't know where you're at. I know where I was. I was 18. I was 18, and I was about to go on an all-state choir tour with a group of other teenagers. We were going to travel the state and go to different churches and sing and have services. And the only reason I was on that trip was because Lorna was going. Been there, done that? And in order for me to go on that trip to be with Lorna, I had to go to a youth camp. And I hated every minute of it. Except for the parts where I got to play softball and show off to Lorna. That was the only part of life. I wasn't a believer, I don't think. Looking back on it, uh, I think I was playing a religious game. Anybody done that before? So I would sit through these services every night at this youth camp, grateful I was there with Lorna, but really not liking any other parts of it. I thought the music was stupid. And, and I wasn't hateful toward it, but I just didn't, I didn't enjoy or appreciate the speaker in any form. I was enduring it. You've been there too, right? Like you're probably, some of you right now, I'm enduring you, dude. Shut up, move on. But, but on Thursday night of that camp, everyone went forward, of course, at the altar call. I was sitting in the very back. I didn't want to move. I just got so tired of the little religious games I was playing, wearing the mask, being the good guy, but I knew what I really was inside my own heart. And I remember being the last, if not the last, one of the very last people to walk up to the, to the altar. I stood in the back, and I prayed a really simple prayer, if you could even call it that. I'm a missionary kid. I grew up, grew up around this stuff all my life, and I, I had seen a lot of manipulation in church services, and I'd seen evangelists do a lot of things to stir up emotions, to try to gen up the Holy Spirit and to get people to believe that the Holy Spirit was moving. I'd seen a lot of that stuff, so I was a real jaded kind of person when it came to that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I promise you I wasn't up there because the evangelist made me feel guilty or in some way manipulated me emotionally to come to the front. I walked up. Stood in the back, it would have been somewhere over there. And I said a little prayer. I said, God, if you're real. God, if you're real. Isn't that a strange thing to say when you're a religious kid, missionary kid, growing up around it? God, if you're real. I want everything you have for me. I want to know you. And it was about that passionless. All I know is that when I said that prayer, something inside me shifted that's the only way I can say it I don't know I can't tell you what it was but something inside me shifted and for the first time I really experienced the presence of God in my life there wasn't an overwhelming sense of emotion to it but I began to pray 
And I realized there was something different about the way I was praying because that thing, had whatever it was, had shifted. Now look, I'm not here to manipulate anybody into anything. But I want you to have a real encounter with God. I want you to have a real... I want you to lay aside all the hypocrisy that we live with and accept. I want you to, to take off the mask. I want you to get real with God. I'm not going to manipulate anybody into anything that completely goes against who I am. I want you to have a real encounter with God. I want whatever is standing in your way between you and the Lord to shift. So that God can come in and the Spirit of God can fill your life. Because I got a feeling there are a lot of people in this room who are tired of going through motions. Tired of being the good religious person. All those good works don't do anything for you. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So I'm going to ask you to stand up to your feet. We're going to worship the Lord. I am so grateful to the Holy Spirit. Because He never leaves us the same. He intends to change us. I don't know what He's going to do as we journey through this study of the Holy Spirit together. I don't know. He's an unpredictable man. I, I can't tell you what He's going to do, but I guarantee you that whatever He does is going to bring change. I don't know how the change is going to come. But I know it will be good. And I know it will be right. And I know it will be done in love. I am asking you to let your defenses fall. And I am asking you right now to open up your mind and your heart to the Spirit of God. To let the wind of the Spirit blow through your life. Let Him bring the change that He wants to bring. Let whatever is standing in His way, let Him, through His power, cause it to shift so He can fill you till you overflow with the fullness of God. This is who you're called to be. You were called to be full of God. Full of God. You are called into His fullness. Into His fullness. Don't settle for less than that. Don't settle for substitutes. Let the God of glory fill you with His Spirit. Let the God of glory fill you with His Spirit. Embrace the life that He's calling you to.